Well, we've made it to the finish line of 2021. A lot of big time players, a lot of compelling tournaments, and a lot of memorable moments. I'm Ryan Labner, soon to be joined by my colleague Rex Hoggard. We're going to recap it all in this year-ending edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf, putting a bow on all things 2021 before we officially flip the page and the calendar to 2022. But first, a big thanks to our sponsor, Callaway, and a message that their Apex irons deliver an extraordinary level of forged performance and craftsmanship with the first forged irons designed with artificial intelligence for faster ball speeds and improved consistency. Increased forgiveness comes from a massive tungsten energy core, and the enhanced shaping leads to better turf interaction. In short, these irons are engineered to deliver superior performance with iconic feel on every swing. Apex sets the standard in the player's distance category. For more on the Apex family of irons, visit CallawayGolf.com. All right, Rex, we've been promising these uh, PGA Tour awards for 2021 for about six weeks now. And then, of course, Tiger Woods happened and we need to do six consecutive Tiger Woods podcasts. I'm sure he'll be mentioned in uh, this awards edition of the podcast. But let's get right to it. Let's start rattling through these with this recap of the 2021 golf year. Give me your best player. There's some really good options. You could look at uh, Patrick Cantley, the FedEx Cup champion. You could look at Kyle Morikawa. John Rahm, who do you have for the best player in 2021? This is going to make you irrationally angry. And as I went through this list in my mind and and I landed on one name and I kept thinking, I can't do this because he's just going to absolutely destroy me. And I just kept coming back to it. I mean, look, John Rahm is the world number one for all the right reasons. And he had an amazing season and he had an eventful season with two positive COVID tests. Uh, Patrick Cantlay had an amazing season. I, I just, you can keep going round and round with all these different names and all these people you mentioned, but it's gotta be Morikawa, right? I mean, wow. win a major championship, win a world golf championship, sort of emerge as this next young American superstar. And he'd already won a major. So it's not as though he came out of nowhere, but whatever doubts I had, and I had plenty of doubts about his putting, uh, thanks to Marco Mira, those are gone. He's my guy. So, just to peel back the curtain here, we have the GWA Player of the Year Award, which we vote for at the end of the calendar year, not like the PGA Tour uh, Award, which is voted on after the Tour Championship and before the start of the following season. And so those players voted for Patrick Cantlay. Uh, obviously, I quibbled with that decision. We talked about that on the podcast months ago. John Rom, even though he did not have the most wins, to me, he was the undisputed best player you've led in basically every major statistical category that matters including strokes gained t to green and scoring average and top tens the only thing he did not have was a large number of wins i think you could make the argument that was primarily because of some unfortunate circumstances he had surrounding covid that said so john rom was my player of the year for pj tour i still think john rom is my player of the year for 2021 i hear you about oh, wow. Morikawa. He won a major, he won a WGC, he won the European Tours race to Dubai with an incredible Sunday to overtake Rory McIlroy. He had an opportunity to win the Hero World Challenge. I know it's just a 20-man exhibition, but that would have given him enough world ranking points to uh, leapfrog John Rahm for that number one spot and close the year out in that position. Did not get it done. But I think when you look back in history, 10 years from now, and you say, who played the best golf? Who had the most consistently great year, I think the answer is going to be John Rahm. Now, you may remember 2021 for John Rahm for maybe what could have been, you know, what could have been at the Memorial, what could have been in his late season, uh, late year stretch if he wasn't so tired. Uh, But the 3-1-1 record at the Ryder Cup, he was clearly the best player on the golf course that week and what was a decisive victory for the Americans. To me, he just played the best golf and I think he was the most feared competitor uh, of anyone on the PGA tour I think his peers uh, would recognize that as well and that's why I'm going with John Rahm as the best player I I see where you're coming from and I think if if we broke this down by like just selfishly as journalists like who was the player that you felt like I guess I guess this is a pip thing, right? Like, who's who's the guy that made the most headlines in that conversation? Of course, oh, that's, that's Bryson. That's that's probably going to be Bryson for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that's going to be Bryson. But then, for all the reasons that you pointed out, like you're right. What if we're doing what ifs here? Like, what would have happened if he didn't get that second positive test and he did go 
to Tokyo and he did have a chance to compete for a medal, which he said meant a lot to him. I mean, this was going to be an important tournament for him. What would have happened if he didn't get the first positive test at the Memorial and how that would have kicked on, obviously winning the U.S. Open. I'm with you for all of those things, but I just think if you look at it from a pure numbers standpoint, and I'm not talking about FedEx Cup numbers, I'm just talking about what he did in specific tournaments. I just think Colin Morikawa, ever since his putting came around in the spring, has been just an amazing player. And look, he it, it doesn't pan out at the FedEx Cup or the Player of the Year voting or anything else. I just think that as far as a player that I would want to watch, he was the guy. I think some, I think oddly enough, I'm turned off on Morikawa's Player of the Year candidacy because of what happened in the FedEx Cup last. And I know he was probably dealing with the back injury that he said he suffered during the first round at the Olympics, but he was kind of, you know, when we would talk to him in the postseason, he would say, no, I feel. I feel 100%. I just got into some bad swing habits. And that stretch really, really cost him. He finished outside the top 25 in the WGC preceding the playoffs. Then he missed the cut, the playoff opener, T63, which was almost dead last at the BMW Championship. And then he was 28 out of 29 players at Eastlake. It did not affect him, obviously, at the Ryder Cup. It didn't really affect uh, many Americans at the Ryder Cup. However, that stretch really cost him. I think when you look at player of the year votes, I'll be very curious to see who the GWA uh, eventually names as their player of the year. Cause that stretch to me really, unfortunately, I know it was only four weeks, but it kind of diminished what was just an incredible year uh, for Kyle Morikawa as he continues to kick on. And now uh, is the number uh, two ranked player in the world, best tournament Rex. What was it in the calendar year 2021? Way to be a prisoner of the moment there, looking at that four-week stretch. At the end of the season, no less. Just bad timing. Let's see what you're doing. That's not there. prisoner of the moment. That's four me that's four months later. I'm not, I'm not that's that's looking in the context of the entire year. That's actually kudos kudos to me for looking at the big picture. Uh I expected you to go straight to the Hero World Challenge and talk about him not getting it done there on Sunday. And the biggest I mentioned I mentioned that. Yeah. Uh, best tournament of the year was the tough one for me because we always go to you have four options and then of course there's the Ryder Cup so in my mind I'm going over those five options trying to figure out like well Hideki winning at the Masters was phenomenal uh, of course Phil Mickelson at the PGA tough was, game story right not, not gonna lie tough game story tough game story Phil was a little bit easier winning the PGA Championship and a lot of historical stuff going on there I, I don't think you're gonna like this one however I, I went in the complete opposite direction just from a pure entertainment standpoint, the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Because of everything that Bryson DeChambeau, look, look at that. He recoils. He throws his hands in the air in disgust. Um, no, I, I think everything that Bryson put into that. He's driving par five greens. He's getting the crowd whipped into a frenzy. He didn't drive it. He came up like 40 yards short. Oh, exactly. All right, so there. You, you got me. He, he came up 40 yards short on a par five. You're right. It's no good. I'm, I'm going to poo-poo all over it. No. It was a phenomenal, and I didn't even cover it. I wasn't there. It's a hometown event. I'm not even being a homer here. It's just I'm aware. I wanted to cover it, and Brentley got to cover it. Not pleased. Uh, You could have gone out. No, I couldn't. Remember, they wouldn't give me a second credential. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, Anyway, maybe that's why you're you're not going to like it. I just think from an entertainment standpoint, because, again, let's go down the majors. Let's First, I'll start with the Ryder Cup. And as phenomenal as that was, and I have the the Ryder Cup on my list here, so I'm not going to forget about it. It was really a wildly one-sided affair, and in not and one-sided in a way that I didn't expect. I'll own it. Like I'm, I made a very, very poor. You definitely picked and, Europe to win by four points. Yeah, yeah, and it went the other way in just a such a commanding way. I'm not a fan of blowouts, and in this particular case, I will give the U.S. team all the credit in the world. I'm just not a fan at the Presidents Cup when the U.S. team keeps blowing out the international team. That's just not entertaining to me. And then you go down the list. I I think what Colin Morikawa did at the Open Championship was amazing. I don't know that from a competitive standpoint and kind of sitting on the edge of your seat, it didn't have those elements to me. I, I just think pure entertainment wise, I, I love Bay Hill. That wasn't even the best tournament on the Florida swing. What are you talking about? With What would you Bay say was Hill? the best tournament on the Florida swing? Uh, the players championship. First of all, you had Bryson DeChambeau uh, before the tournament started saying that he was going to hit it down. Uh, the ninth fairway on 18 to give himself a better angle to the green, even though I think you and I both went out there when we measured it, it was going to be that like that conversation 100. was set up by what he did at Bay Hill the week before. I'm proving my point. That was a, that was one hole. How can you base the entire tournament 
as being the best tournament of the year on one hole what he did. The rest of the well, tournament was a snooze. I mean, Spieth had a chance to win, which is the reason why I wanted to get out there. I don't think that's fair either. I mean, it was a heck of a performance. So don't do that either. Don't do not do it just because, oh, it was Bryson. And he was doing Bryson things and standing there like a polar bear on the first tee. And just, <laughs> no, you can't I mean, do it was, that. It was a good tournament. I mean, I the, the fist bump on the 72nd hole, showing some emotion there to grind out the win over Westy. Like, it was... It was fine. It was a it was a, it was a it was a fine it was a fine term. I probably I probably put that in the top ten. But and Westy passes prime sell by date. Like all of these things, you're you're just glossing over. Do you not remember the players' championship? All right, so you had the Bryson stuff beforehand. Then you had Lee Westwood, which would have been just an incredible story. I, I remember you writing that. Uh, in the second round, you had Rory admitting in in painful uh, detail that he had lost his game by chasing. Uh, Bryson's speed. You had the That's Bryson Westy rematch in the final round. And then you had Justin Thomas go absolutely bananas uh, in the final round, actually over the uh, final 36 holes. I mean, that was the best tournament of the Florida swing. So to say that the, the Bay Hill was the best tournament of the year is just, that's just shocking to me. Yeah. That's, that's my story. I'm sticking huh. to it. What you got? Uh, well, since you brought up Bryson, he's actually uh, one of the protagonists in what I believe is the best tournament of the year. And that was the U.S. Open. You had nine players within one shot of the lead on Sunday afternoon. I knew, I know that the 54 hole leaderboard was a little bit weird, right? It was like Russell Henley. I'm actually having a hard time remembering. It's like Russell Henley. Um, it was quite a memorable who else was up there. Wow. Uh, Mackenzie Hughes. I mean, it was a little bit, it was a little bit strange when you look at that 54 hole board. However, however, when you end up shaking it out, on Sunday afternoon, nine players in the shot of lead. And I mean, it was some of the biggest players in all of golf. You're talking Rory, Bryson, Brooks, Rom, your boy Morikawa, the 2021 apparently uh, player of the year. I mean, that is as good as it gets. It makes what, in my opinion, Torrey Pines is a very unmemorable golf course. It, <laughs> it actually made me a believer in that, hey, maybe this should continue to host major championships, even though it is a bit of a dud of a layout. If you look at 2008 and then what it produced in 2021, I mean, that's, uh, that's as glitzy as it gets. And, and just to finish Rom, John Rom going birdie birdie uh, to punctuate his first major championship. Some of the implosions that you saw, whether it was Rory three putting from short range, whether it was Bryson uh, coming home in 44, even Brooks, uh, big bad Brooks bogeying, I think three of his last five holes. That was the best tournament of the year not just the leaderboard but also the late drama as well i get that and, and i'm with you on i mean i think toy pines if, if they don't just don't lock it in to whatever it is let's say a 10-year rotation i i'm not going to understand that i i know there's issues with the city and I mean, it's not a, it's definitely not a good golf course but I, I disagree with you i think for major championship golf it, it's it's a very good golf course for you and i it's a slog I, it's a slog it is for you and I to go out there and play. It's very much a slog. I think most people want to go play the North course. That's much more enjoyable. And, and you're right. The way John finished off w- was incredible. I mean, for him to do that, just not on the 72nd hole, but really what he did over the last three or four holes was impressive. I, I, I'm just going just pure headlines here. Like, what, what am I looking for when I'm, I'm, you know, enjoying a tournament from a journalist's point of view? I, I'm looking for a lot of paragraphs to write. And I feel like Bryson gave me that at Bay Hill. I'm not sure what it says. Well, I guess I, I guess I know what it says. And your is that the actual right there in the end at Bay Hill too? Like, how can you ignore this? Well, he kind of faded on Sunday. But that was 75. just kind of culminating uh, with with the win in San Antonio. However, the runner up that I thought for best tournament, and again, it stars Bryson. So Bryson is maybe he's not the needle like Tiger is, but he certainly moves the needle. To me, the runner up finished for best tournament of the year was the BMW Championship. That six hole playoff. Against Patrick Cantlay, you had the very uh, anti-Bryson crowd. That was kind of the tipping point in some of this fan conduct that we've seen with all these Brooksy calls. You had Bryson uh, reportedly getting into it with a fan afterward. I mean, that was was high drama and wildly entertaining. In another tournament, that involves Bryson DeChambeau. He may not have been the, ter- the, the player of the year, uh, but there was no one more interesting, fascinating, intriguing player to watch in golf and Bryson DeChambeau in 2021. And I don't see, uh, I see that continuing uh, for the foreseeable future. Let's continue on Rex. Best surprise. You can go in any number of directions here. Best surprise. 
This was the easiest one for me, and that's the U.S. Ryder Cup team. I mean, I, again, went on record. I think I don't know that I did. I really pick Europe by four. That seems. Yes, much- you picked them by four. If, if you want to go back and listen to it, we can cue up that audio. Listen it was an at- embarrassing take. Dude, yeah, listen to that at two times speed. No, I don't think it was an embarrassing take. You're going to continue to. to that was an embarrassing oh, take. No, it that, wasn't. That's like cold takes to- exposed. That oh, is, God. that's like an all timer. It didn't age well, but I, it wasn't a terrible take. It didn't age well as soon as it came out of your mouth. Like, no, I jumped all over you. I jumped is, all over you on that pad, podcast. This is based entirely on what we know. And this is why every time we get into these conversations about let, let's pick who's going to win, let's try to figure out what Tiger's going to play again, th- there is no – we don't have a crystal ball here. We're just trying to create some sort of content. That's all we're trying to do. So in this particular do you not case, remember? Do you not remember me destroying you as soon as you uttered that? Well, Yeah. But it's based on what we knew. Up to that point, there was no reason. And we to- knew they were going to get killed. Man, are you, you going to let me do this? Or are you just going to keep jumping in we here? We knew they were going to get killed. We did not know they were going to get killed. Based on everything we knew and based on what the U.S. team had done over the last, I don't know, decade of Ryder Cups, there was nothing in the cards that was going to suggest that Paul Azinger was going to run through that door. Because the U.S. team simply had not performed. I don't care who you want to go to. I don't care which team you want to go to. Even the Davis Love team that won the second time around. I- I'm going to actually put that on the Europeans. They they probably did not have the best leadership on that particular team. So there was nothing in the history other than just pointing to the world rankings in every single Ryder Cup. You point to the world rankings and you go, well, the Americans should run away with this. And they never did until they finally did. So I'm, I'm not going to own. That That's why it was a faulty premise. You were literally just basing your opinion on whatever's happened over the past 20 years. It's you the were, only thing you can base it on. Why don't you, you, you base weren't, it on? You weren't looking at what Padraig Harrington did with the uh, fewer captain's picks, not more, which was just a, a head scratcher of a decision while playing in a pandemic. You neglected the home course advantage. You neglected how there good the Americans were playing coming in while Where the Europeans were at? slumping. Everyone knew that was going to be a blowout, no, except we, you, Rex. That one, was, that one yeah, aged I'm the only one. That Let's like, go back and check the record on that one. I'm as, the soon only as, one. That, as soon as that came out of your mouth, that one aged Poorly, best surprise. You mentioned being a prisoner of the moment earlier. Advantage. You had a bunch of rookies. Of course, there was. It was a wide open golf course. Of course, the Americans were going to dominate, and they did. Oh, there was no. We wrote. There were volumes written about how Whistling Straits wasn't going to benefit one team or the other. Like, I'd love your. That was just. That was just. That was just you writing it because you wanted to. You wanted to make that. You wanted to make that. Go back and look. Everyone was saying that this is not going to be Medina. This isn't going to be Hazeltine National. That Whistling Straits is what it is. It's just going to be a different golf course for the Americans and the Europeans. There wasn't going to be what happened in Paris, the way the Europeans were able to set that golf course up. You didn't have that. You had half the U.S. team that were rookies. And for all of these reasons is why I'm picking them. They're not rookies. They were, it was Xander Shoffley, the gold medalist. It was Daniel Berger who had played in the President's Cup. It was Harris English who had a resurgent year. They weren't, these guys weren't rookies. Of course they were rookies. They were playing in their first Ryder Cup. Half the they team. were not rookies. They are only rookies by definition, not you, in actual golf form. Come you, on. You that is, that is the most overplayed storyline, and you know it. It is not. I, it is an, is an overplayed storyline. I thought those rookies performed quite well, did they not? Patrick Cantley, did he, how did he uh, comport himself I think his first Ryder Cup? I think the entire team played quite well. Because well, they're well, not I, really rookies. They're really one of the best players in the world. It's not like they were diving into the top 75 in the world to fill out this U.S. team. I, I still maintain that the Americans' B-side probably could have beaten that European team. That's how deep they were. They may have been rookies by definition, but they were not rookies in actual golf form. They are among the best players in the world, and they showed it at Whistling Straits. End of story. I mean, I was certainly surprised they won by 19-9. to 9. Yeah, I mean, that was an absolute stunner. I at least thought it'd be maybe four or five points on the American side, uh, but to see a most lopsided defeat in uh, Ryder Cup history. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you there. I mean, that was, that was a stunning, that was a stunning result, but you could kind of see it coming with how Padre Carrington formulated his team and certainly how they got out of the gates. Uh, you mentioned being a prisoner of the moment earlier, Rex, this time I will be a prisoner of the moment. The best surprise for me was Tiger Woods at the PNC championship. That was completely unexpected, especially when you look at the harrowing images that came out of that car crash in mid-February. You would have thought perhaps Tiger Woods would lose his life. He thought it was 50-50 whether he was going to lose a limb. And for him to play 
the way that he did, for him to look the way that he did 10 months later uh, in Orlando at the tournament you covered at the PNC was absolutely shocking. Obviously, that's going to ratchet up expectations for 2022. And we did our best on the uh, previous podcast to kind of downplay those expectations, to pump the brakes a little bit, as good as he looked, as sharp as he looked, specifically from inside 150 with some of the speed that he had off the tee. Look, it is a completely different animal to play the PNC with his son than it is to walk 72 holes and compete at the Masters Tournament in April. You and I have talked ad nauseum. I, you think he may go an entire year without playing. I think if we're going to see him at all uh, on the PGA Tour in 2022, it will likely come at the Open Championship for the various reasons we discussed on the podcast. But just to see him upright, to see him smiling, to see him hitting good shots 10 months after that accident, uh, yeah, that was the best surprise, the biggest surprise to me uh, in 2021. I don't think, and again, a, a year may be extreme, but that that's what I got from John Cook and Mark Ramirez. I mean, two guys who spent the week with him, who talked with him, who have been around him his entire adult life and have an idea of what he has gone through and have an idea of really how they had to use whatever, duct tape and super glue and you name it, to try to put him back together for the, just two rounds in a golf cart with his son. And it was amazing. You're absolutely right. I mean, anyone who saw that mangled SUV and read the doctor's reports and the statements from the surgeons. And, and that's probably only a glimpse of the things that he went through. It, it was amazing that he was upright, that he could swing a golf club, that he, he could compete on any level. So I'm with you on that one. We're, we're going to move on. What's your best newcomer? Yeah, Rex, how much, how, many, uh, how much percent do you have on your laptop before it dies? Uh, I was just about to tell you, I think I've got uh, 19%. So we're moving along. Oh, we're, we're cruising. All right. Uh, best newcomer for me, is Will Zalatoris. He kind of burst on the scene in 2020, uh, played really well on the Corn Ferry Tour. We saw him pop up at the U.S. Open, finish inside the top six there to kind of get special temporary membership on the PGA Tour, which allowed him to receive a limited number of sponsor exemptions, continued to play well in the early portion of 2021, and he popped up and was runner-up at the Masters, one shot behind Hideki Matsuyama in what was his first Masters appearance, if you're talking about rookies. I know he tailed off a little bit was dealing with a back issue uh, from what popped up uh, when he hit it out of very long rough at the open championship. But to me, Will Zalatoris now inside the top 35 in the world ranking as 2021 comes to a close. One of the best ball strikers already on the PJ tour. He's going to continue to get better. I would expect him to finally get that first PJ tour win. I would expect him to challenge for one of those spots on the U S president's cup team. Uh, Will Zalatoris, for me, is the best newcomer in 2021. Uh, This one was tough, or maybe it wasn't, because I believe there was only two rookies last season on tour because of the pandemic and the the way the super season rolled over. So you only had very, very limited options when it comes to... You went with Garrett Higo, did you? Yeah, when it comes to, yeah, true newcomers. No, I didn't go with either one of them. And and I think Will had a a great season. I I don't know. Uh, He did trail off, and I think early in the year, you were screaming for him to be a Ryder Cup pick. I I don't know if that one aged well. If If he didn't get hurt, if he did not get hurt at the Open Championship, I think he probably would have been on that Ryder Cup team instead of Scotty Scheffler. I mean, the way that he played at the Masters, PGA Championship, and some of those other summer tournaments, he was actually playing uh, pretty well. He's inside the top 20 when he got hurt at the Open. So, you know, you could say what, what could have been uh, for Will Zalatoris, but, but yeah, I think he would have uh, seriously challenged Scotty Scheffler. And, and Zalatoris, uh, to his credit, actually has more big-time experience uh, in the major championships and Scotty does at this point. Perfect transition because I don't even know if we could honestly consider him a newcomer, but I'm going to go with Scotty Scheffler. And I know he didn't get that win and he came up short a couple of times, but I just feel like when you look at his overall body, body of work over the course of the season, he played in 29 events and missed just five cuts. And that included eight top tens. He put himself into contention time and time again, quite a few times in the fall. Actually, I thought he performed brilliantly at the Ryder cup when the pressure was about as high as you can absolutely expect. And I just feel like he's one of those. Beat John Rahman singles. Dustin. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I, I mean, I just think he, the game is trending in all the right ways. And everyone's going to say, well, he didn't win. And, and I can see that. I think wins and losses is a, is a bad way to sort of judge PGA Tour players because you lose so much more often than you win. If, I just think if you look down as far as the tools go, I think Scotty Scheffler has all of the tools to be a truly special player. And you talked about, I think he's back and he's inside the top 25 in the world as well. So Scotty Scheffler's 11th. He's knocking on the top 10. 
Yeah. So that's and I again I know he's not a newcomer. He's definitely not a newcomer. I mean, he just completed his second full year on the PJ tour. But new enough going to the idea that I just pointed out that there were no rookies, two true rookies on the PGA tour last year. So that the competition that, that was a tough category to pick out of. We're going to go with just true rookies. I thought I thought you were gonna go with your uh your your twins, the 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 Hogard twins, uh both of whom are inside the top one hundred and probably will be on that uh, European Ryder Cup team in twenty twenty three. I mean, I have no uh, one to pick. I mean, I would just pick both of them. I think they're just a package deal. Let's just take both. I like that. I could have gone. Yeah. If, I mean, if you're going to pick Scotty Scheffler as your newcomer, you got, we also have to shout out Sam Burns, two-time winner, 2021, yeah. a player whose uh, metrics are absolutely off the, char- off the charts and whose arrow is definitely pointing up for next year to have uh, another big year. Rex, we are writers by nature, even though we do podcasts, even though uh, we do TV, even though we do digital video. Best story, though. What's the best story that we had to write? Not had to write, got to write in 2021. As I was going over the notes this morning here, I'll show you. The Zoom's turned off so you can't see it. But I wrote down uh, Super League because I felt like I spent an inordinate amount of time talking and writing about whatever it is that's going to come from the proposed new rival league. If anything. Yeah, and then I marked it out and wrote down bro beef. Like, whatever it is that happened between Bryson and Brooks and how it transpired and when, what it ended up becoming like, so that's the, the story arc, right? Like, I don't know a hundred percent how it even started and <laughs> it, it got to a, just a sizzling hot moment where you pointed out at the Memorial when the fans started coming down on Bryson and Brooks didn't do any favors. Was, was offering free, uh, free beer. That was a problem. Free beer, which now all of a sudden we're pro wrestlers and, you know, we're running around the rink and we're having a good time with our shirts off. And then whatever it became at the end, you know, it was the four stuff at the Ryder Cup. As entertaining as that Sunday press conference was at the Ryder Cup, I felt like the ending between Brooks and, and Bryson was, was both manufactured and, and not organic in any way. And then I would say the same thing about the match in Las Vegas. I, I like the concept of you have these two antagonists going head to head against each other in this, you know, made for television match. And then once it kind of happened, you were like, yeah, meh, like didn't do it for me. Sorry. Right. And I, I, we talked about this and I keep going back to they're kind of unlikable characters right now. Both of them are. Whereas, yeah. That's the, that's the thing. You're either team Brooks or team Bryson. And it's kind of the, the, the you got to hold no, your nose and, and, and pick option. one. I think the third option is I'm neither. And you didn't really have that when Tiger and Phil were at their best, right? You were team Phil, you were team Tiger. You were on one side of the fence or the other. I think with this one, there's a good portion of the population that would be like, nah, I'm, I'm good, fam. Like, I'm just going to go ahead and sit this one out. Simply because I don't think any, either one of them come across as likable, as engaging, as someone you'd want to go have a beer with. Well, maybe you don't want to go have a beer with Brooks. I don't know. Maybe it would be fun. But it, the storylines and how they dominated the press this year, I don't know how the pit money – is going to get doled out, but those two have got to get a chunk of it, along with Tiger Woods and, and Charlie Woods, I would argue. I mean, Charlie, yeah, Charlie Woods is definitely uh, number two based on what he did uh, at the PNC Championship. I'm with you. That was a, a, a terrific story. It was a fun story for the majority of the year to follow, and we probably did Brooks and Bryson no favor by keeping this uh, in the news as often as we did, especially I remember the U.S. Open. There were some rumblings that the USJ wanted to pair them over the first two rounds. That became a big story as well. I just don't like how it came to a conclusion in 2021 with that charity match. I know they raised a lot of money for charity and that is a very good thing, but those guys were also cashing in as well and laughing all the way to the bank that this silly feud, all the animosity that they genuinely had, the genuine dislike that they had between each other, they realized, or at least their agents did, that they could monetize that. And so to me, whatever happens next between these two players has to be viewed skeptically because they can kind of roll that up into another match in 2022. They can continue to do little social media beefs or little driving range dust-ups or, or whatever is going to happen. I want to see them go head-to-head on Sunday afternoon at a major championship. We know Brooks is probably going to be there vying for another major championship. It's up to Bryson to live up to that in 2022 and to get there and vie for major number two. For me, the best story to write, and I took this quite literally, was Phil Mickelson at the PGA Championship. A complete fluke. We just have to put that out there. 50-year-old Phil Mickelson beating the best major championship field of the year with the top 100 players in the world was a fluke. Zero top 10s in 17 previous starts. Heading into Kiowa, zero top 10s in nine events since. But it was absolutely 
incredible. We thought it was just a cute little two-day story with him uh, contending at Kiowa Island, one of the most difficult courses on the planet, a golf course that you never would have imagined that Phil the Thrill would be spraying it all over there. You would have thought he'd missed the cut by a mile. Instead, uh, conducted himself really well. He and uh, caddy brother Tim Mickelson uh, were just totally in sync the entire uh, week. And then on Sunday, looking big, big bad Brooks right in the eye and absolutely thumping him uh, was incredible. The scene on the 72nd hole was pandemonium. It was mayhem uh, for at least a couple seconds. It was somewhat dangerous, uh, but that just felt like a cathartic release for a fan base that had been bottled up and masked for too long, celebrating arguably uh, the most popular, arguably the most popular player of his generation. Yeah, there was no doubt about it. Uh, I was scared for a couple seconds. I was on the verge of being trampled. I'm not a, I'm not a large man. Uh, and I was basically within arm's uh, reach of Phil Mickelson. And yeah, it was, it was flooded. The uh, police officers were completely overmatched, overwhelmed, underprepared. It was not a good scene. Brooks was pissed uh, because guys were trying to take shots at his knee. Didn't see that happen. Don't know if that actually happened. Uh, but yeah, for about 15, 30 seconds, all, all hell was breaking loose, Rex. You survived. You're good. I survived, but I also I also was was literally sprinting through the greenside bunkers to try and uh, find safety and shelter uh, behind the seventy second green. I'm not I'm not I'm not man enough, or I'm not I'm not too man enough uh, to admit that that happened. I would give a runner up to Spieth's resurgence in 2021. I wrote a story in March of this past year, kind of detailing uh, the low point that he had uh, literally 12 months ago where he was sitting down with his team and said, we need to figure this out or we're going to have to go in separate directions here. The year did not start off well with a miscut at Torrey Pines, but those uh, that weekend off heading into Phoenix gave him in swing coach Cameron McCormick uh, an opportunity to uh, find a swing feel uh, that worked for him. And he was off and running uh, for the rest of the year, even had a chance to win a couple of major championships at the Masters uh, and the Open Championship. And really a credit to Spieth, the loyalty he showed with his team. A lot of players would have ditched their swing coach. A lot of players would have dumped their caddy. He stuck and was very loyal to his guys. And that sort of perseverance, that sort of patience, and that sort of loyalty was rewarded in a big way. And I think Speep is back uh, back in a big way heading into 2022. Uh, Rex, not, not everything was good in 2021. There were some disappointments uh, as well. What's the biggest one for you? Uh, this one was actually easy. I think Dustin Johnson was the biggest disappointment. I said Dustin Johnson. Uh, you said we, we picked the same. Wow, we had to get to the end. We of picked the, the same. What are the chances? Agree on something. Yeah, I mean, after he wins the Masters, and it was the November Masters, and that seems like a lifetime ago. But I, I don't know about you, but I was thinking that what a breakthrough that's going to be for him because you could see the emotion. I literally wrote that. Yeah, <laughs> I said. I said Dustin Johnson's best golf may 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 yet be ahead of him. And I'm not saying it still isn't. I mean, look, he's he's not, you know, he's on the older side of what we see now in the top of the world rankings, but he certainly yeah, he's certainly 30, he's 37. Yeah, certainly has plenty of game left. But I, I feel like the only time he really even gave himself a chance after that going through the, the tour championship was through the first two rounds of the open championship. He was right there. It was a third round 73 that sort of derailed him, but he still ended up finishing tied for eighth. But he was never really in the conversation anywhere else. And he, he didn't look like he wanted to be in the conversation after that, to be honest with you. And, and I know there are letdowns after you reach the top of the mountain. We've seen it, you know, famously by David Duvall. And you can go through the list of players that got to the top and were like, yeah, you know what? Never mind. I'm good. I'm going to go back this way. But he just seemed disengaged, uninterested, however you want to put it. And I feel like this is a, a couple of things. One, there, there was going to be a bit of a letdown after he won what was always going to be the most important tournament to him, the Masters, being from South Carolina. And the second one is, I, I wonder where his head is at as we, and I, you know, we've mentioned, I touched on this as far as the storylines go. He is clearly one of the guys that the Super League is targeting. He's clearly one of the guys that has some sort of interest, whatever level of interest that is. And I'm just curious if maybe he's looking to other things and beyond where he's at right now. It's the only real excuse I can come up with because in the past, when he has struggled, it's been because of injury, and I don't think this is about injury. Yeah, it certainly seems like motivation, which is shocking to me because when we did this podcast a year ago, I mean, we had 
huge expectations for Dustin Johnson in 2021. You think about the stretch that he had in the summer and fall last year, right? I mean, he went two, one, two, three, six, two, one, 11, one, eight. I mean, that was the stretch that Dustin Johnson had. You let that to- eight just crop. You just dropped the eight, eight. <laughs> well, that was, that was, that was actually technically 2021. Uh, but however, I mean, that was just an, an incredible run of golf, like literally Tiger-esque. Like the, we were talking about Dustin Johnson in, in Tiger-esque tones. Like it was incredible. And I remember talking to Claude Harmon, uh, Dustin Johnson's swing coach after the Masters, and he was convinced that there would not be a letdown. In fact, he thought that Dustin Johnson had actually stumbled on something that was sustainable for the next four or five years. He'd kind of thought about chasing distance, decided what he had was, was plenty good enough. Getting that second major, getting over that hurdle, actually winning the tournament that he wanted to win most in the Masters, he actually thought him thought was going to propel him. And instead, I think he actually did just take his foot off the accelerator and just coast. I mean, just one win, and it happened in February at the Saudi uh, International, which, of course, has made headlines in 2021. That was his worst year, just one win. I mean, it's very high standards. But his one win was his worst year since 2015. Statistically, this was one of his worst seasons since he first broke onto the PGA Tour in the late 2000s. He missed the cut in the first two majors of the year. The last time a world number one did that was Greg Norman, speaking of the Saudis, uh, back in the mid-1990s. It was an incredibly disappointing year uh, for Dustin Johnson. And I am curious to see where he goes from here. He's down to third in the world. Uh, Had you just looked at his world ranking points earned in 2021 singularly, uh, he would have been about 30th in the world ranking. That is not Dustin Johnson. That's not the Dustin Johnson that we've uh, grown accustomed to over the past decade. I would give an honorable mention to Justin Thomas. I seemingly pick him for player of the year every single year. Uh, I'm sure I did it. If I went and looked back at my 2021 predictions, I'm sure I would have predicted uh, that for, for JT as well down to number six in the world. I know he has played better of late. When you think about the FedEx cup playoffs, uh, he had a couple of top five finishes there, uh, a couple of top five finishes uh, this fall as well, including in his final event at the hero world challenge. But I think even JT would admit it. It was by any metric, a very disappointing year, and that's surprising uh, for a guy who won, who won the Players' Championship. Yeah, it was poor when I asked him how you would rate his year, even with the Players' Championship. He, there was no pause. There was no hesitation. It was a frowny face and a poor. If, if life was an emoji, his face would have looked like an emoji. I'm very confused. I'd be curious your thoughts on this, Rex. I mean, he won the 2017 PGA Championship, but other than that, he really has not been a factor in the major championships since I think back to the November masters, he had an opportunity to win that uh, finished fourth. I think he was actually really disappointed uh, by how the course played because he thought that his, with his iron play um, kind of having it be uh, shooting darts as opposed to kind of needing to, to shape it and just understanding the nuances of where you need to land the ball. Uh, he was disappointed in the way that the golf course played. He really has not been, a factor in the majors. I'm thinking, I'm looking at his stats now. Also the top 20 at the Masters. PJ Championship missed the cut. U.S. Open finished 19th. Open Championship finished T40. How can someone be so great in regular PJ Tour events and outside of Quail Hollow in 2017 uh, has largely disappointed in the majors? What do you make? What do you make of that? I think some of this has to do with pressure. I mean, I think you know him better than I do, but from the second I met him when he joined the PGA Tour, there is no lacking in confidence, even his rookie season. I'm sure it was the same way back in Alabama. He doesn't expect just to win PGA Tour events. He expects to win major championships. That's always been the radar. And look, I mean, by and large, that kind of self-belief is a very, very good thing, but I think it can also have a detrimental effect when you're putting so much pressure on yourself to perform these specific four weeks out of the year. It's really hard to do. Only Tiger Woods did it like really, really well for a prolonged period of time, at least in this generation. And so what he's probably the standard he's probably holding himself to is hard. It's difficult. It's not easy. And he's just going to continue to put more and more pressure on himself is what I've seen. Yeah, I think that's a really good call. And certainly his close friendship with Tiger Woods probably does not help uh, when you have the gold standard for major performance uh, as one of your closest confidants and friends. 
I was going to add one on the end here, and I'm blindsiding you on this one. But my top moment of the year, and I'll give you once I'll, I'll filibuster here while you think of your top moment. Please. But I'll go to, and you mentioned the crowds at Kiowa at the PGA Championship. It did feel like that was a bit of an exhale where we're all sort of, we felt like we were coming out of the other end of the pandemic and we could all get together and, and we could be in open fields. And we Omicron? Could- Omicron? What's Omicron? What is that? We didn't even know that at Kiowa Island. That was something, that was a made-up word. Back then, it, for me, it was it was the first tee at the Ryder Cup because I was always curious. There was a lot of talk about why we postponed the Ryder Cup. And what, didn't you think it was tame? Didn't you think it was tame by years past? But the Maybe. standards that, that it set. Maybe, but it was still impressive because it, I got it. And I think you and I both probably agreed with the concept of you can't you can have the Masters without the galleries, although it was weird to the extreme being at Augusta National without the galleries, without the fans. I don't think you could have done that at the Ryder Cup. And once you, once I stood on that first tee at Whistling Straits on the first day and the crowds and the singing and everything, the emotions, I understood. It was like, yes, we they, golf did the right thing here by postponing one year and kind of upsetting the schedule. But this is the way you play the Ryder Cup. And it made, it was kind of my goosebump moment this year. Um, okay. I'm fine with that. Uh, personally, I had a very uh, interesting year with, Traveling probably to the fewest events I ever had with my wife being pregnant and then, of course, uh, my daughter being born. So I honestly was not on the road as much as I normally was. I had severe FOMO, um, and so I'm very upset about that. Did not get to cover the Olympics, which you got to cover. That was a wildly entertaining uh, competition on both the men's and the women's side, of course. I did not get to cover the Open Championship, my favorite tournament of the year. However, I, I know I... I know I said that it was a scary moment because it was. And I even went on TV and said uh, how much hell was breaking loose. To me, that 72nd hole at, at Kiwa Island is, is what I'm going to remember feeling the most. The excitement from getting to write a Phil win was uh, quickly uh, squashed by the trepidation that I was going to get uh, trampled to death by guys who were slugging uh, $16 Michelobes uh, to then the uh, exhilaration that I felt watching uh, Phil's triumph and the extremely loud roar, one of the loudest roars I've heard on the golf course uh, when he actually tapped in to win that championship and then just sitting down to write. It's, it's hard. And I know it sounds geeky. It's hard Rex to uh, really articulate the feeling that you have when you, you know, you've got some goods in the notebook and you sit down at the laptop and go to write what you hope is the definitive uh, game story from that particular tournament, knowing that it is of significance. <laughs> I, I think, I think writing Hideki was a different challenge because how do you kind of encapsulate a guy who is mysterious to even the Japanese media in a tournament that was kind of a snooze on the weekend, except for about uh, 10 minutes there on the 16th tee. That was certainly a different challenge than sitting down and trying to kind of contextualize what Phil had accomplished at Kiowa. But I think that, two hours from the 72nd hole to actually sitting down and pounding that. I actually it probably took me longer than two hours. Who are we kidding? Um, to, uh, to me was my, was my favorite moment of 2021 and what I'll, what I'll remember uh, from covering this sport this year. Uh, that actually is actually my funniest moment. If we want to take this one step further, the funniest moment is seeing the reaction on your face as you're coming out of the crowd. Cause I was standing behind the green. I was, sort of in the safe zone. So I, I wasn't in the midst of it, but I can make fun of the, the city mouse of a partner that I have in crime. And just seeing the look on your face as you emerge from the crowd is disheveled and scared and alone. I literally, I literally ran through the bunkers. Like, thank God they didn't have a playoff because it would have been, it would have been right in my, right in my size, right in my size 11 shoes. You were just scared and alone and confused and didn't, I don't, I don't want to be Pissed here. Off. That's right. Arms are, arms are flailing. Where's the security? Where's the security? And you're going to have to stay there to do a hit in the last block, as, as well as the three hours it took you to write your story. You had to hang out and do, the, do a hit in the last block of the live forum show. There was so much going on. No, I had to, I had to pause my game story, which is literally the last thing in the world that you want to do is, is break your flow, break your momentum, break your concentration. And that's what I had to do. Thank God they got me in and out with my, with my hit. But then I had to go back and try to piece it all together once again. Comedic moments. It's always it's always. Fun. What was the what was what was your favorite story to write this year, Rex? How much and how and how much percentage do you have left on your laptop? 
Uh, I think I'm around 14%. I'm good. Uh, oh, you're cruising. A, yeah, we're cruising. Uh, there were a couple that I liked. I actually liked writing Phil as well. I mean, try to put that one in context. And look, his longtime manager, Steve Loy, was really good when I talk, spoke to him afterwards. And there was a lot of emotion there. And those are the stories that you really enjoy writing and, and the ones you want to wrap your mind around. And, and I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed being at the Olympics and writing the the story on Xander more so from his father's perspective. I think Stefan brought so much to that, that probably we wouldn't have gotten had he not be, been there. It was, it was such a special moment to him, someone who grew up aspiring to be an Olympic athlete. There, there was the connection that Xander had with his, I believe it's his grandparents on his mom's side. Yeah. Maternal uh, grandparents. Yeah. Yeah. They, being in Japan and they actually had to sneak them to the hotel the night before because of all the pandemic protocols and just so they could see each other because they wouldn't have been allowed to see each other any other way. It was just a fun story to write. And every, every four years, I I'm always reminded of this is why golf went back to the Olympics. There's a lot of reasons you can hear over those four years of why maybe golf shouldn't be in the Olympics. But then once you get there and the athletes, certainly Rory, you know, spoke a lot of truth to this in Tokyo this year, you do realize that this should be a part of the game. Rex, what are you most looking forward to in 2022? Obviously uh, we're going to have an enormous 2022 uh, season preview edition of the golf central podcast presented by Cowboy golf. We will tackle all things 2022 uh, in that episode, but give me just kind of one thing. What's one, since we just mentioned writing, what's one thing you want to write next year? What do you, what are you hoping that you get an opportunity to write next year? Oh, that's easy. Tiger Woods returns, right? To the PGA Tour in a 72-hole event, and he can walk. And he's I mean, Tiger, Tiger Woods just returned a competition at the, PGA, at the PNC Championship. He didn't even want to write that. You mailed it in with 10 things. 10 Actually, things I, wrote it. I, I wrote it the two days before, and then I mailed it in on Sunday, just to be clear. Yes, I did a top 10 things that I learned. But no, I mean, if he does, it's not going to happen at the Masters. We, I think we both agree on that. But if he does show up at Augusta, and he's going to give it a go, and He'll hold a press conference. God, the world will be melting down if that happens. It'll be standing room only, and you and I will sit and fight about who's going to write what. I mean, it'll it'll be enjoyable. It's the story that I most want to write. And then the, the second, and this is a pretty far second. This is way in the distance. I'll give it maybe even a third after Tiger would be 1A and 1B, would be the international team actually making a game of the President's Cup. That's not going to happen. This I is know just it's fanci- not going to happen. This is just fanciful notions now. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm living in the fantasy world. But I – it's got to happen eventually, or I don't know what Does happens. It? I, I hope so, and, and I'm a big fan of Trevor Emmerman. I think he's going to be a really, really good captain. I just don't know what he can do to change the narrative, to change this disastrous path that we're on with this event. You think Garrick Higo and Eric Van Ruyen and Sung Jam are going to go 5-0 and and, and beat uh, an, overwhelming, uh, an overwhelming U.S. team full of top 10 players in the world at Quell Hollow, which is just going to be set up to be a bomber's paradise. They're going to chop the rough down, make the fairways as wide as possible. Are you actually going to go out of limb and say the international is going to win this time, just like the Europeans were? I'm twelve. I'm at twelve percent right now, and absolutely not. I mean, this is this is fantasy land for me, man. I'm just I'm putting something out there. A guy can dream, can he? I mean, you ask me my favorite stories. That one would be fun to write. Uh, that would be fun to write. I look forward to writing that in September uh, 22 as well. Although I have a feeling that's going to be another decisive victory for the Americans. I'm not sure it's going to be a 10 point victory like we saw uh, at the Ryder cup, but I do think uh, it'll be significant in nature. And that Sunday, unfortunately will be another snooze. Of course, the major championships are heading in 2022 to uh, the old course at St. Andrews. uh, One of our favorite places uh, to go every single year. I look forward to the boondoggle that we will have uh, a couple of days before that Brookline, I think will be really cool for the U S open. I'm curious to see how that composite course uh, turns out I covered the U.S. Amateur there in 2014, I think it was, when Matt Fitzpatrick won with his brother Alex uh, on the bag. That was really cool. Just a, a tremendous golf course. Uh, so I am looking forward to that U.S. Open in the Northeast as well. As for the story I want to write, that's a story that I've wanted to write over the past couple of years. And it's actually closer to fruition than it has been uh, since 2018. And that is Jordan Spieth winning a major championship. He is an open book when it comes to us. Roy McIlroy, I put in the same category. How about this? Roy McIlroy or Jordan Spieth winning a major in 2022 is the story that I want to write. They are so open and honest with us. Perhaps 
uh, to a fault at some time. I think the material that would flow out of those two winners press conferences uh, would make for some great copy and a story I think would have not just uh, historical significance, but also personal significance uh, to those two as well, considering the depths that they have fallen uh, since they last won a major championship. Although uh, both of those players journeys is very different. I would have to fight you for that. Roy wins a major uh, game story. Wouldn't I, since I, since I know, since I know you were in the bag for Rory. Yes, we're gonna we're gonna knuckle that one out, and I'll take it a step further. Rory wins the Masters to complete the career Grand Slam, and to get rid of all those ghosts. I mean, if, if we're really going fantasy world here and decide, um, it, what would I want in my best that, case? That that actually has a better chance of happening than the internationals winning the Presidents Cup. Uh, sure, sure. Well, I don't know about that. Does it? Rory, I, like Rory looked so. Rory looked really good to close out twenty twenty one. To be honest with you, he seemed to really uh, find something that clicked uh, on that Sunday singles victory over. Xander, uh, of, of course, he won the CJ Cup. He had an opportunity to win in Dubai. Y- yeah, I think, I think Rory's on an upward swing. He's back with Michael Bannon. Uh, I, think, I think Rory's going to have a good year next year. I take it back. The funniest moment of the year is just imagining how Rory ripped that shirt in Dubai after he did <laughs> 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 oh, That's good. Although he was very – he was, was, he, was, he, was he nasty about that exchange when you guys were peppering him? I don't think Nassie's the, the right word, but he, he had no interest. He was not in a gaming mood. It was, he, dropped it was a, he dropped an F-bomb. Yeah, no, and, and he knew the question was coming, and I, he didn't handle it the way we thought he would. He clearly was just – he just wasn't in the mood. Maybe it's because he felt like maybe his privacy got a little violated just because – when you're in the scoring area, I think there is a belief that, okay, this is, this is away from the – Don't have a glass scoring area, scoring area then. Well, yeah, or, or don't rip your shirt. I mean, there's a pl- lot of things to go into this, but it, it just the, the comic value of actually imagining of him struggling and getting more and more angry as he can't rip his shirt is just so funny to me. I don't know why I find that so entertaining. <laughs> uh, if only if only Roy found it uh, as entertaining did not. Uh, as as we did. It was a great year on the Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf. A lot of great winners, a lot of great tournaments, a lot of great storylines. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this podcast this calendar year. We're going to do it again. We'll be back in exactly one week because, hey, it's a new year of golf, and we will break down everything you need to know for the year ahead, which players are on the rise, which players could be in for a bit of a decline. Look forward to chop it up with Rex in next week edition where we turn the page on 2021. Happy New Year. We're back at it ready for a full year of golf in 2022. Thank you guys for listening. This edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. We'll talk to you next week. 9%. Nice.